Hello there, listener. Thank you for listening to the Crash MotoGP podcast, where each week we will bring you the latest news from the world of MotoGP. Now, don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts from so you never miss an episode. The podcast is also available in video format on our YouTube channel. Head over to Crash MotoGP so you can watch us there. Make sure to like the video. And also, while you're down there, make sure to click the subscribe button. For all the latest news, head to Christ.net and also follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. And welcome along to the Crash MotoGP podcast. On the show today, I look back at all things Le Mans, your questions answered and... Probably some other stuff as well. Uh, remember, if you want to send us a question, you can voice note it. Send us uh, on your phone, email, podcast at crash.net is the email address, along with your name, where you're from. Keep it to 30 seconds and we shall get you on the show. The recording date is Tuesday, the 16th of May. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me, as always, is Crash's MotoGP editor, Pete McLaren, and former Grand Prix rider and British champion, Keith Hewin. Keith, well, 1,000th Grand Prix, mega crowds... Rollercoaster weekend. Better, does it? it doesn't get much better than that. And we had a French winner, of course, in the team of Tech 3, Hervé Poncherel, one of the superstars from in the paddock. I mean, Tech 3 have been there since the Stone Age, but that's the first time a French team, has, or his French team, have won uh, at Le Mans, believe it or not. Never won a French Grand Prix before, even though he's been close. Won other Grand Prix, obviously, but uh, Hervé Poncherel, Guy Coulon, his partner, um, in Moto3, which they never really run before, so it's been a remarkable... And then we had Augusto Fernandez on the gas gas that they run at Tech3. Fourth place for him as a rookie. Amazing. Bride. A lot of people didn't finish. Got nothing to do with it. Augusto Fernandez was right on the pace right from the start as well. So loads to talk about. Um, he was. If I've got a little bit of a voice, it's because I've been in Northern Ireland for the last week and um, partaking in the enjoyment of, uh, of some real road racing. <laughs> shock uh, it's a miracle you turned up on time today uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been up all night <laughs> yeah preparing for this exactly um uh, Pete I mean let's should we I mean it's I always find now we've got the sprint stuff I always find it so hard because you want to talk about the main crux of stuff but let, let's let's go with the sprint sort of stuff to begin with shall we and start at the top with MotoGP uh but what a result for Jorge Martin I mean finally the confidence he's taken from that as well there's still rumors about where he might his future might lie too. So uh, it was a good weekend all in all for, for Jorge Martin. It was, yeah. As you say, we all sort of picked him, didn't we, at the start of the year when we heard about these sprint races. It seemed to just suit him down to the ground. But it's taken him, the, you know, till round five, but still he did it in style this weekend. First win since 2021. Uh, as you say, few rumours about him because he does seem to have this clause in his contract that he could go to a factory team next year if he gets a factory offer. Um, of course, the only factory team with a seat available would be Yamaha. So, of course, that's, it's that or nothing, really. That always saying at Ducati. But he seemed to be playing that down. You know, he said, look, I've got a two-year deal and, uh, you know, seemed to be pretty confident he'd be a Pramac rider next year. But let's see. Uh, but that, those are his options. And it's a good time to just show what you can do, isn't it? Because now is uh, when decisions are being made for next year. Well, we might be having factory riders wanting to be in satellite teams if the satellite team wins the uh, World Championship for the first time ever. It's heading that way, isn't it? And again, Jorge Martin, yeah, he's been a top tip for a while. I watched all his interviews afterwards and really, really confident, strong, you know, who not bet against him continuing this momentum. Yes, yeah, took him quite a while to have his second GP win, if you like, but he was at uh, the long race on on Sunday. He was right on the pace. He was right there all the way through it. I mean, in the end, even Marquez found himself in trouble with uh, the likes of Jorge Martin. Good, good racing. I have to say that shockingly good racing i mean i i'm 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 i've not seen stuff that's frightening around the morning i mean it's quick it's quite narrow some of it's not not great grip you've got corners that you can make a comeback on when somebody passes you can repass them brilliant brilliant race i don't think i've seen it that close that aggressive you know that often as we saw in Le Mans. it was brilliant absolutely outstanding it really was i mean coming on to to the, the main grand prix though i mean we had a few dnfs obviously in the sprint but I mean, some of the incidents we had, though, I mean, the racing was great, but there were a couple of scary incidents, though, Keith, weren't they? I mean, we nearly had fisticuffs between Bagnaia and Vinales at one point. Well, Vinales, I think, realised that he was on for a for a top finish. I think that, that Vinales was looking really good for the for the long one. But 
again, how many times do we see those crossovers? You, you know, we saw it twice in that long race, but the one with Bangaira and Vinales, they had a coming together. When you're going back onto the line and so you ran a little bit wide, you know someone's going to run back underneath you again. Um, it was unfortunate. A racing incident, I think, um, unfortunate for both of them. And obviously, um, it was all a little bit fevered in the uh, sandpit. It was handbags in the sandpit. I mean, if it was British Superbike, they'd be getting a point on their license for backhanders or something. <laughs> they shook hands afterwards. They soon gathered themselves up. And, uh, and I think that that shows the sporting side of it. But how can you go from being an axe murderer as a MotoGP racer, ended up in the sandpit and, and, and not lash out? I mean, it, it's pretty hard not to do, I've got to say. Young men in the sandpit having just been bowled over. Um, so, But they recovered very, very quickly. The, uh, the scary one really was for me, was, you know, uh, was the Marini mm. and... Uh, Marquez. Marquez, Alex Marquez. Poor Alex Marquez. I mean, I felt so bloody sorry for him. I mean, Marini all but saved it. He got his dirty, great big long elbows in the floor. He got his knee in the floor trying to save the thing. Front tucked under him. But um, it all had little bit shades of uh, Simoncelli back in Sepang. I've got to say that, that it was definitely going to be a coming together. Um, but they pretty much walked away from it. I mean, it, I think that uh, Marini ended up getting a check over, but, and I think Marcus did as well a bit later on, but unfortunate stuff that you're going to get when racing's this close. Again, it's, it comes down to what we spoke about so often. You know, we're, get, we're getting racing that we wished for, but when you get this close and this competitive, you're going to have these kind of accidents. If somebody falls, trips, or, or otherwise comes off their line slightly, um, you're going to have that problem. Mm. And, that, and that is what Alex Marquez said. You know, he was asked not just about his accident, but there were a lot of accidents in the race, weren't there? There was only about 13 riders finished. And he, he said, it's, well, it's this close. This, these are the five lines and, and down you go. And then Le Mans, as you say, Keith, funny track, isn't it? Cold temperatures. The tyre choice was a bit iffy. If you're Jack Miller and he, you know, he went with a medium in the sprint, fell off on lap two, went back to the soft. Some people didn't like going away from the soft, if you like. But then by the end of the race, the soft was starting to wear out a bit as well. Um, so tricky conditions, a lot of left-hand falls, wasn't it? Because you, you're turning right a lot there and then the few left-handers down you go. Um, penalties, of course, came up again, didn't they? Alex Marquez, you mentioned, because, of course, he got a post-race penalty. The only post-race penalty we got was for Alex on the opening lap. He's just sort of tapped the back of Brad Binder, sent him a bit well, wide. two of them, didn't he? He, he fired it under the, under a pair under, of them. Under got himself in a right old I, I, I couldn't believe it. Alex Marquez? <laughs> Uh, so that was the only post-race penalty in the in the main race. Um, nothing for that little scuffle, as you say, which which surprised some people because we saw obviously John McPhee got, and uh, Alcobra a few years back, Massier and Toba. They all got like triple penalties, didn't they? Their pit lane starts, time penalties, fines, threw the book at them. But on this occasion, because there, I mean, there isn't a rule that says you must not fight, is there? We, we have to say that it's a bit like as you've explained before, Keith. There's general rules in MotoGP, whether it's technical or anything else. And it's how they're applied. And on this occasion, the rule that they hit McPhee with and Tober and all those guys was, you know, uh, conduct that you know that makes the sport look bad. Basically, that's it. Just a general thing. And obviously, on this occasion, they thought there's no no need. Bit of a jab on the uh, the arm of the helmet, and that was it, wasn't it? But I thought just for consistency, having punished those other ones, they might just give a token fine or something. But no, nothing there. Um, so unfortunately, well, they, they seem they seem to have got rid of that non-rule of overambitious. Ah, Which, no, that, that's what Alex Marquez got hit with. That was his... You know, the you overly know. ambitious. I mean, yeah. for God's sake, overly, this is yes, racing it, motorbike. It, it's back to overly now, not ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> Just ambitious. Now you've got to be overly ambitious. Um, well, but he ended up having to take a, a one-place penalty as well, didn't he? He had to drop back one place mm. in race, which was uh, which was fair enough. And he slotted himself in in front of Marquez quite neatly with that as well. So, yeah, the penalty's flying around, but they seem to be... In order, I've got to say that it didn't it didn't sort of strike me as being an unfair situation or or any along those lines, and it didn't really upset the race very much. So, um, I mean, Marquez was absolutely brilliant. You know, a race back, and he's at the front on that Honda and and pushing like I, you know, the guy obviously has a, a major disconnect between um, racing and pain because <laughs> he pushes his luck. To the point where you just think he's going to hurt himself again in a minute. It's just, it's incredible. He is an incredible individual. I wouldn't want to be. How does how does his dad have a full head of hair having two boys out there and uh, and racing at that level? When you think about it, I mean, Julia Marquez in in pit in in, in the pit box looked to me like he was break dancing. He was <laughs> jumping up and down and leaping around. I've never seen anybody 
so animated in in the pit box in my life as he is. But then if you've got two sons at the front of a, uh, you know, a dog fight, then maybe that's how it goes. Mm. It, it's interesting though about Mark though, isn't it? You bring him up because in that fight in the closing stages with with Jorge Martin for that final podium spot, a really great battle actually. But then in the end, Martin got the better of him and, and actually Marquez ended up sliding out. But do you think he'll still take a lot of positives from that, even oh, though massive, he, he couldn't quite compete? How can you be out for as long as he has been and not race competitively as he has done to be in that position on a bike mm. that is 100% not favoured? I mean, the Calix, you know, Rins ran the Calix chassis this week and, and kind of said he liked it from what I could see. You know, yeah. who knows at the moment? It's like, it's like a pack of cards, isn't it? We're shuffling chassis. Who knows what, who's on what? <laughs> you know, not being there, I can't keep up with it. So, it, but at least Rins did, um, he had some, something positive to say about the new Calix chassis for Honda. Um, what was, I can't, I couldn't fathom what Mark was on for the for the race. Yeah, so so Mark uh, was it on Friday. He had one Calyx, one of the other bikes. Obviously, he missed the test. Uh, he then fell off the normal bike, let's say, midway through FP1 or P1, as it's now called. So he switched to the Calyx, and then he seemed to run the Calyx from then on. So he got two Calyx bikes by the Saturday. So with one, the other bike was for uh, Mia, his teammate at the Calyx. So there's there's three Calyx frames there. So it was like, oh, okay, well, there's three of them available. Um, and so, and then Mark had both his bikes on the Calyx for the rest of the weekend. Uh, he said it was a small help, but you know, it's not the solution was his words. And he still uh, looked like he was having a work like 10 times harder than anybody else out there, which, uh, which is incredible really. That's why I couldn't make my mind up what he ran on the, on the day. Obviously I was in Northern Ireland, um, doing that's other it. things. So obviously you now got, you've got a Honda with a Calyx swing arm, a Calyx chassis, Olin suspension, Brembo bakes. I mean, it's getting to the point where... There's only the engine and the aero, isn't there? Really, I mean, it's, it's maybe maybe it is back to the engine that that perhaps needs something done to it that we sort of speculated on a few years back because that was what Cal mentioned when he was at LCR was that the engine character he thought going into the corners was the issue and you know if Calix can't can't get a chassis that sorts these these sort of cornering problems out and gives them a bit more margin as Mark said as well you know look at all the the falls by the Honda riders again and and okay. I think Rins was on, he was still on the Honda chassis, but but Mir was on the Calyx and he fell again and, and is still having issues and really looked pretty lost, didn't he, all, all weekend. So, still a lot <laughs> of work got, done there. you got a Le Mans, it's, it's, it is an odd track, there's no doubt about it. It's, it's one of those ones where the, the, the contrast in, in track temperature and the, the kind of corners you've got as well, as you've already mentioned, Pete, you know, that left-handers sometimes you can really get caught out with them. It is a track where you, you are going to have a penalty at some stage, as in fall down or, or loss of grip. I mean, I think that's where Mark scores over everyone else. Whereas just about every one of his slides would be a crash for most people. They're not for Mark, remarkably. Yeah, it's it's proper fascinating, isn't it? Um, I want to talk about Jack Miller. Um, what happened? Yeah, I think he's probably saying that this morning. <laughs> which 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 uh, which incident are we talking about there, Harry? Well, so, yeah, he, I mean, he was fast, wasn't he? All right from the start, he was fast, and I was yeah. thinking, "Hello, this double KTM prediction might be nice." <laughs> yeah, you were looking very. You were sitting pretty in your predictions. <laughs> it was all looking good, and I qualified second row. I think wasn't he fourth or something? Binder again. He had the qualifying issues. It was interesting at at Erez because it obviously he qualified well there, but it, it was that. The rain fell in the session, didn't it? It wasn't a normal qualifying session. And Binder was, when people were saying, oh, it looks like, you know, the KTMs are qualifying well again. He went, well, hang on a minute. You know, I, I've been struggling at the previous rounds to qualify. This was a bit of a weird one. Let's see what happens at Le Mans. And he was back again, wasn't he? So for Binder, there's still, Jack's got it sorted in qualifying, but Binder's still, you know, he's, he's got such a fight back to make, isn't he, in the races? And then, which he did, but as we saw, he then had to overcome the incident with Marquez. Then he got the long lap penalty coming back to Miller while battling with Miller at the end of the race. He uh, he cut the chicane and and he explained that he actually misjudged the one second rule. The one the one second rule meaning that's the time you have to give up if you straight line the chicane. Now he thought it had to be one second from Jack that he gave up, but it's one second from your own time, your own average time. And so that was his. So he's like, well, my fault, you know. There we go. But yeah, uh, I mean for Jack fast as we say the sprint race he went with the medium tire he, he'd been using the soft liked it confident with it went to the medium because it was a bit hotter and, and if he was lap two he fell off so the problem then is that you've got no data of you for the for the sunday race we, we've seen that ktm in the in the covid years with those back-to-back -back races 
they always came back stronger in the in the second race at, at the same track. So they've obviously got a good way of analysing the data and making a step forward. And it seems like we've got a mini situation of this like that with the sprint race on the Saturday and the main race on the Sunday. They're able to sort of make improvements. But of course, he missed on, out on all of that data from the race. So he's then going in. He did go back to the soft tyre and he felt more comfortable. And he was leading, wasn't he? Battling with Mark up there at the front. But suddenly he said the others went up a gear for mid-race distance and, and he just didn't have anything for them. Meanwhile, though, on uh, uh, sister uh, bike, Keith, uh, Augusto Fernandez doing an absolutely brilliant job. Fended off uh, Aleix Spargo in the closing stages and a fantastic career best fourth place. Yeah, the only rookie in the class and um, showing pace like he's not a rookie. But you've got to remember the atmosphere in that team must be fantastic. Tech 3, it's a home Grand Prix. We mentioned it earlier on, you know, just they've had their first ever French Grand Prix win. Um, for Hervé Pontra and Guy Coulon's team. And the atmosphere must have been fantastic in there. It's infectious when you're at somewhere like that. Mm. The atmosphere trackside with the you know thousands upon thousands of fans that have been locked in the place for three or four days. Um, well, we might talk about that as well. The, 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 the 278-odd thousand people, they reckon, they had trackside collectively over the, over the weekend. Um, the, the biggest, they say, um, crowd ever at trackside. Me and Pete reckon they just weren't counting too well back in uh, the day at Hareth or wherever it might be. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the 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 promoters do such a fantastic job. They keep everybody on site. They're not drifting off to, to back into the town or destroying Limon or, or anything like that. They keep them on site in the campsites. There's so much entertainment. Free parking, you know, all the bits and pieces that we don't get anywhere else, really. Um, so it's a real entertainment situation. Um it's Where a, was I going? It's a model event, isn't it? Just to add to that, Keith, it's the one where the donor invite the other promoters to come to for that reason, the reasons you said. They've said, look, if you this is what you need to do, a bit like Lamondas, get everything in place, the entertainment, keep the crowds mm. here, the free parking, the affordable affordable tickets, everything else. So it is the one that Dorna recommends, and I think they won Grand Prix of the Year again, didn't they? There was a presentation for them. They got voted as the, the best Grand Prix by the people in the paddock, that is so... Um, by the teams and things like that. So it's it's highly rated both by the fans and by the uh, the teams in terms of the organisation and the show and everything that they put on. But um, yeah, yeah, big big crowd, big crowd. And, and Fernandez, I mean, Fernandez, unfortunately, some people have said, well, there's a lot of people fell off. But no, his times and his race pace were was superb to put him in right in the mix, whatever, however many people were still in the race. Fernandez was right on the pace there with that gas gas. So... I mean, Tech Three had a. I sent Hervé a message this morning because he's a he's the just the best guy. I mean, he's he's like one of the, like I say, he's, he's part of the furniture really at, mm-hmm. at, at the racetrack. And I mean, we will love Hervé hugely, and it will it will mean so much to him. It's not just a business; it is his heart, his life. Um, so to see his team do so well at the French Grand Prix just makes me happy. Not quite as happy as it does to see my mate Zarco that rescued me <laughs> with a third place but anyway we'll go there later i'm sure um it's it's always throws up an odd result at Le Mans. you always get something special at Le Mans, really and i can see why dawn always want to get people there to see how a proper promotion should be how you get a lot of people i bet there's nobody who's been there from magello though i've got a feeling that that's going to be dead in comparison mm. Well, we should also actually mention you say that uh, Rossi got a podium, uh, outright podium in uh, GT racing over the weekend as well. Over the weekend, the one thousandth MotoGP race. Yeah, so- I, was having a report, I was having to report on that a little bit from from the Northwest Two Hundred because obviously Frank Bird was there. Paul Bird Motorsport, which is um, Paul Bird's son, Frank, uh, was in the same race. So um, at Brands Hatch. So of course we were, we, were, we were obviously Birdie's team won both the Superbike races at, at the Northwest Two Hundred in Northern Ireland. And at the same time, Frank Bird Jr. was out racing with uh, the other VR46. I, I think the the power of Valentino across the world in all sports oh. is just unbelievable. That you know the VR46 team and their and their academy, you know from Bangnaya and, and across, you know the, the the way that they have managed that team and the way that it's going at the moment. Anuccio, you know Alessio Salucci, the the that's now the team manager. The Valentino's not there. He's his best mate that he grew up with that basically runs the, the setup when Valentino's not about in very close association with Valet. The communication between he might have been a Brands Hatch racing in whatever it is cars, but the but the communication 
Sorry, I can't keep up with the different categories you like. Whatever got. it is, that car yeah. thing, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can't. I don't know what the categories are. Even though Valentino's in it, I've got no clue. Um, but the fact is that Valentino keeps in close consultation with Uccio, um, Alessandro Celesio, the, the, the Salucci, the guy that, that runs the, the, the team for him when he's away. And he's, you know, they're, they're all buzzing. You know, that side of the factory fence is buzzing as well. And back in the day, there was all these things about you know, Valentino was going to be the second Yamaha team and all the rest of it. Did they dodge a bullet there? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and worth pointing out, they're leading the team's championship. The, yeah. The, the, you know, they, Good they, point. They're up at the table. I mean, I mean, who would have predicted that on a year on year old bikes? So fantastic performances. Well, come back to what I said earlier on. We could have a satellite team win the world title this year for the first time ever. Well, the top two are satellite teams, aren't they? In in, in the teams, so you've got Pramac in uh, in second. Uh, well, I mean, we failed actually. We haven't talked about it yet. Bez winning, obviously. <laughs> Bezeki well, it, winning I mean, the race. Bezeki looked okay, you know, on 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 the sprint race the day before. But the, but once he got his start sorted out on the on the long race, and he, I mean, he had so much pace. Where'd, you, know, you kind of go, well, where did that come from? Yeah, he was fast. He he got pace, but to to absolutely blow the rest of them into the weeds was a bit surprising for any of us yeah it was it was i mean you know as you say there was a lot of incidents weren't there and things like that but he was up there and and one of those guys that took a big step from the sprint so maybe he's he's also someone that is able to learn a lot from the sprint race take a step take that into the main race and he's using he's showing that impressive he's got a mix isn't he of the speed the aggression when he needs to but also the calmness you know when you've got situations where the tires are, are getting a bit old and all that he doesn't tend to throw it away and make mistakes and uh, i mean he's a, he's just on fantastic ball at the moment it's amazing how you know bangnaya is he's rattled by it at the moment i mean he's he's, he's why is there a point in it now mm. at the top of the tree but i mean he's not scored in the last three big races long races you know it's a situation where Magnaia is going to be nervous of turning the throttle fairly soon because, you know, he's, he's involved in these incidents all the time. And uh, right now, Paco Magnaia must be thinking, well, I need to take a breath here. He's Good job he's got a weekend off, I would suggest. It's the sprint races that have saved him, as you say, Keith, isn't it? I mean, you know, it may, I mean, without that, he'd be on half the points or something and quite quite incredible. So, yeah, it's it's only the fact that he's dominating these sprints, if you like, winning more than any anyone else so far, that that. He, that getting his points for him and uh, as you say Keith after the race even though okay racing incident whatever he was still sort of having to sort of come to terms with again a mistake or or something happens let's say when he relaxes you know he was feeling it was like that that thing we keep hearing from him you know he was there in third he was feeling good he had the pace and then something happens and it's the same thing that we keep hearing from him and uh, yeah he's, he's got to stop these uh these these things happening isn't he whether it was you know okay racing incident but again he well, was very much that these things keep happening to me when when i was when i sort of relax and maybe maybe because it was maverick vinales and a, a maverick vinales of 18 months ago you'd have duffed up and not thought anything about it but maverick vinales now is preferred to get stuck back in again um, it looks like we've got the the old Maverick Vinales back now. Maybe the mistake that that Vanyaya made was, you know, the fact that he blasted. And, you know, those kind of crossover crashes, crossover touches happen all the time. But in this particular instance, Mav was coming back on his line as Vanyaya squirted in underneath him, and they, and visually you can't see it from where Vanyaya was. He couldn't see him because he's hanging off the side of the bike, and they just came together. I mean, it was unfortunate, but I wonder whether if Pecco had Maybe Pecco underestimated um, the aggression of Maverick to get back online again. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a possibility. But, you know, in racing, half the game is to keep yourself out of trouble in a dogfight like that as well as much as it is to make the pass. You have got to be careful that you don't trip yourself up because of underestimating what someone else might do. Mm. I feel like there's a big result coming for Vinales. It feels like there's something that's there. But, but I don't feel that way about Aleish. No, because Aleish was already at the top of his game. I think Aleish, Aleish, I think, is already stretched to where he needs to go. Whereas Maverick, I would say, and this is going to, I'm going to get a slap for this, so put it in the comments below. <laughs> we'll read it later. I think Aleish doesn't have as much natural talent as Maverick Vinales would be my opinion. I think Maverick Vinales has a little bit more headroom for improvement. Now, Aleish 
gives everything. I, I have huge respect for Aleish. He never leaves anything on the table. He's made a couple of mistakes here and there. I mean, he should have won a Grand Prix back in uh, Austria, uh, if we go back a while. But, you know, it's a situation where Aleish gives everything. He's, he's, he, he tries as hard as he can. Whereas Maverick Vinales, although he, he seems to have been a little fragile for, for a year or two um, when it comes to, you know, re-engaging in the dogfight, um, he seems to be back there now. So I think you're right. I think you're right to say what you said, Harry. I think that a big result is due from Maverick Vinales. And I think once he gets that result, He's happy at Aprilia. He's happy on the Aprilia. Mm. Um, and I think it worked cerebrally um, for Maverick Vinales. So, yeah, I think you're right. Wow. I think there's a there's a feeling for both of the Aprilia riders that they haven't got what they should have from the bike this year. The bike's fast, isn't it? You know, we've seen pole positions by Aleish. We've seen race pace from Maverick in, in so many races where he's got the speed to win, as he, as he felt on Sunday. That was one of the reasons he was so frustrated. But it just hasn't all got together is it it hasn't they haven't put everything together i think there's there is a frustration and maybe that was evident with maverick being so angry that again they've missed out again they've had everything there he could see the leader just in front of him couldn't he He had fantastic pace here we go and then he's on the floor yeah the, the moment it's just something keeps happening for them whether it's a lace messing up the starts as well or, or or something like that getting stuck behind people maverick has, has had trouble in the qualifying as well and the starts and then suddenly he's there everything's ready and it all goes wrong. And I think that I think there's frustration there because they should be the bike is more competitive than the results that they've been getting. They were unlucky this weekend, and that's all it is. You can't blame Maverick for what happened. You can't blame Bangnaya for what happened. It's that crossover thing. We've seen it with the Pedrosa and and the like at Areth. We've seen it time, and we saw it later on in the race. But it didn't actually come to a, uh, coming together. You know it, it, that, that those crossover you know cutbacks underneath people are, are a natural thing. As soon as you see a gap, you're going to go for it. If you don't, you're not racing. Yeah, well, we'll see how that one uh, plays out. Uh, in terms of our predictions, um, the only one of us to pick up any kind of points in our Grand Prix predictions was was Keith, thanks to a certain Joanne Zarco. You get a bonus point as well because you could have been third. And thank, I suppose it was kind of thanks to Marquez sliding out at the end. But well, it doesn't so- matter about it. Yeah, you can go and <laughs> Joanne Zarco and say to you, well, you only got third because. <laughs> yeah. next time i'm in france i'll tell him uh so, so i mean great and really nice to have a a home hero on the podium in zarco indeed yeah and in fairness he was he was the fastest frenchman all weekend wasn't he i mean quattararo mm-hmm. didn't even make qualifying two more problems and zarco was so yeah really zarco led the french home fans hopes all weekend and uh, yeah yeah great for him to get on the podium and great for that crowd late race pace late race pace is something that um the Binder tends to have, Zarco tends to have, you know, on, on that kind of track. The, the thing is with Le Mans, you know, trying to pick a winner in Le Mans is, is really tricky anyway because it depends on the weather, depends on the progress through the weekend. But um, Joanne, you know, should have won a French Grand Prix already <laughs> and he hasn't quite got there yet. The day that they do that with 278,000 fans, you better have your fire extinguishers ready because the town will be burning. Because <laughs> they, be they do know how to celebrate in France. <laughs> <laughs> that will certainly be a spectacle. I mean, uh, Pete, you, you bring up the other Frenchman, Fabio, uh, and Yamaha as well. Uh, I mean, before I, we're going to come on to Moto2 and Moto3 in a minute, but let's let's end this first chat of MotoGP on a low, shall we? With uh, with the Yamaha um, pace, just just not not there, and, and Fabio not having a, a brilliant weekend, really. Again, he struggled at qualifying. So, yeah, as we said, he didn't even get into qualifying too. So, if, you know, when you're starting 13th, and it's a double penalty, isn't it, if you know what I mean, in that you're 13th for two races now. So if you if you can't qualify, you're really struggling. And he's got a bike that he can't he feels he can't overtake with pass with anyway. So starting 13th. Um, that being said, he he said that he went back to the 2022 settings, that, that he said, we've tried all these other things. We've tried thousands of things, he said. The things that they tried at the Jerez test most recently, I think he used the word useless, in fact, to talk about the uh, the aero, the electronics, the exhaust. I mean, I mean, you know, really showing that if we need more than this. And and he said, look, from now on, this is the, the 2022 base. He's talking about the base setting. That's the best that we found. And that's what I'm going to stick with. And whatever problems we have, I'll just have to ride around it. So, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, it just say it's, it's damage limitation talk, isn't it? And um but, but he just can't see what else he can do at the moment. 
I'm not going to talk about Quattararo because I feel now that, that psychologically it's getting at him and I don't blame it for it, but blame him for it. It's a situation where he's not getting what he needs out of Yamaha. You know, it's beginning to affect his mentality when he's out on racetrack. If you feel that you can't perform with the bike you've got, then then generally it brings you down and, and it, you're not getting the best out of yourself. So I think Quattararo really needs a change. Lynn Jarvis said the chances of a satellite team in 2024 are virtually nil. You know, they, they're not going to have a backup team. They're not going to have a second team that gives them data in 2024. That was the managing the racing uh, team managing director, Lynn Jarvis, has said. But the most amusing for me was Eric Desains, who's the president of Yamaha Europe. And I've never seen such bluster in all my life. I mean, I wrote down a few quotes just because it just amused the hell out of me. I mean, it, no wonder. If this is if this is the way that Yamaha are performing and this is the way that Yamaha management are acting, I think that, that you know, you know it, we have been investing, yes, as have many other teams. We have been investing. That was quite... Um, Ducati and all the rest of them are working hard on aero. They've stolen an advantage on that. That's a fact, and that's absolutely correct, of course. Um, Fabio took pleasure with the bike. I don't quite know what kind of pleasure that was, but probably not <laughs> the sport that you get when you ride it, I would yeah, judging by the conflict in terms from um, uh, Fabio, of course. Bike is more new than it looks. <laughs> I quite enjoyed that one. Which made me giggle. That dental um, is polish that out. new as in 22 new or is that new as in 23 new? Can't <laughs> quite work that out at all. Um, not enough sessions to improve. Now that I do understand. But then again, if you haven't got the bike to improve in the first place, just about if everyone had more sessions, then Ducati, uh, KTM, everybody else are, are going to make the same step, you know, if they're going to be fine-tuning. So it, it, that really wouldn't have been a bit of any benefit, in my view, to, to Yamaha perhaps. Um, and particularly because they've got an old bike, so therefore they've got all the data for it anyway. So they're probably topped out on their, you know, on their adjustments anyhow. Whenever they get to where they're going, it just sounded like complete and utter bluster from the Saints. Um Whether the president of of Yamaha Europe has any input other than as a rather high paid salesman um, in the manufacturing of motor gp bikes i would guess probably not he's probably just trying to to make the best of a you know an awful situation for yamaha as a factory but it kind of keeps taggling along to what we talked about last time in our rather broken um <laughs> technically broken podcast the last one out um regarding yamaha's position in moto gp you know if you've got the the managing director of yamaha racing saying that they're they're very unlikely to have a satellite team in 2024. He's not confident they'll be able to have a satellite team in, in 24, which means they're going to be on two bikes again next year, which means that whatever the developments are for the new tranche of, of, of regulations, technical regulations, as we move into the 24 era, um, they're not going to be able to get the best of that. You know, you've got eight Ducatis out there at the moment. You've got, you know, KTM throwing the kitchen sink at it. Um, Aprilia have, have, have got satellite team as well now. Uh, Yamaha are really falling behind, and the amount they're falling behind is such a lot that unless they design something brilliant that we've never seen or heard of before, they're going to be behind. They just don't have the, the headroom to be able to move forward. So it's looking very, very bad for Yamaha from, from, from where I'm at. I mean, obviously, we're not party to what's going on behind the scenes, back at the factory and the like. And, mate, there's no one. I mean, Yamaha have been, from a privateer situation over the years of racing, Yamaha have been the absolute backbone of motorbike racing. And here we are in a situation where they seem to have fallen so far behind. It's it's, it's a crying shame. There's a lot of parallels, isn't there, between the, the, the Honda and the Yamaha situation, the Fabio and the Mark situation. It's quite incredible to say, Keith, that these two brands that were dominant for so many decades, it, it just makes you wonder if Aero has changed all the rules on bike design almost in MotoGP and that all of this data that they had for all these years and all the Europeans were struggling with to make the bike turn and everything else, wasn't it? Suddenly now Aero's come along. Maybe that doesn't apply anymore and maybe the, the rules have been rewritten and they need to sort of almost start from scratch again. Well, it's being able to respond to them, isn't it? I mean, Honda have, have always pretty much written the rules themselves, and they've they've made motorbikes, you know, in a very rigid kind of a way. 
I think Yamaha have fallen behind because of investment. You know, <laughs> I saw Cal Crutcho. Cal Crutcho has moved back to Northern Ireland. He's living in Northern Ireland now. And, and uh, I saw him at a golf club of all places. I don't <laughs> play golf, by the way. But the, I mean, I should say that Cal Crutcho, Jeremy McWilliams, Alistair Seeley, and Ian Baker from Honda uh, won the four ball at the Royal Port Rush Golf Club, which is a very salubrious kind of a place. Um, I can't say they didn't frown at me in my jeans, pumps, and hoodie when I arrived there. But <laughs> but they made dispensation. It was a Northwest 200 charity golf event. Um, and those boys know how to play golf. And Cal was just in the best place. He just is so relaxed. He's so lucid. Um, and, and so enjoying his, his, his life. What a waste of a great talent. You know, Yamaha should be using him everywhere. He should be... Yeah, you know, I don't know whether he'd want to be working any harder than he already is, but we know how fast he still is. But it just seems that that it's it reminds me a little bit of where Ducati were a, a, a long while ago. It seems now where it just wasn't linked factory team rider. You know, they were all separate entities. They weren't really all working together. They weren't gelled until Gigi Delina came along and and kind of pulled it all together and now there's a direct link back to the factory and the technicians at the factory and everybody's working together to make it make it happen whereas Yamaha you know you've got Lynn Jarvis standing there with that sort of pouty look on his face um, waiting to do the next press release to, to you know try and keep some kind of control over it and try and steady the ship you've got Eric Desain saying that we're we're investing and it's it's newer than it looks the bike and all the rest of it, it just it just seems like all these suits are stood there and nothing's happening on the track um and everyone's wishing yamaha to come back it's not just the yamaha people that want it to happen it's everybody yamaha is you know it, it's like the dna of, of grand prix and to see yamaha in this kind of a mess is very sad and to to, to not hear the right notes coming out of the hierarchy is even worse you know like to hear bluster and bs um just saddens me it really does i mean i you know Fingers crossed that, that 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 all of this is just the front, and there's something really happening back in the in the boardroom and the, in the engineering department to to make it better for them. Mm-hmm. Well, desperate times for uh, for Yamaha. Desperate times for Pete as well, languishing last in our prediction standings, just seven oh, points. Neil, <laughs> you just got lucky, you bloody four wheelers. <laughs> no, he's last. Pete's last. You're you're winning now, Keith. You're doing well. well. That's all right. Yeah, but I just I just got lucky. I mean, you, I just you did, uh, you did. You yeah. were, you're well, lucky with your Zarco. Uh, hey, hey, that's the great thing about MotoGP now. It's more about bloody luck than it is about anything else. <laughs> if you're going to do predictions, that is, yeah, it's a very good point. Predict if you dare, but yeah, uh, you got uh, well, you got the Zarco points, and uh, who did you got? You picked up half a point for uh, Banyaya in the uh, sprint, I believe, and then Pete did win the sprint. Though you got a full point there. You had Binder, well, Banyaya, Miller as your predictions, so that wasn't too shabby. Uh, I've had a few points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I bet you have. Uh, and in the uh, rider standings, uh, it is just a point between Banyaya and Bezeki now, 94-93. Brad Binder still in third on that KTM, just in front of Martin. Uh, one point between those two as well, um, 81 and 80. And then there's a little bit of a gap back to Joanne Zarco. So there is a, the front four starting Jorge to Martin's, edge Jorge away. Martin's the one to, to watch now. Jorge Martin, he never scored a point in any class at Le Mans ever till the weekend. And now he moves on to Magello, which equally he's never had a great time at. Mm. Um, so it's going to be... Oi Martin has just dug himself out of a massive hole in Le Mans. And uh, I've got a feeling that I love the way he talks and his attitude to it. I mean, I like him a lot. I, I, I just think that he, now is the springboard. He's, he's on his way, Jorge Martin. We talk about he might be just a sprint race operator, but I think he proved in Le Mans that... Um, He's he's going to be there or thereabouts in the main race now as well. I think he's we're going to, we're going to see some more wins from Jorge this year. I feel if he can and, keep and it he, on the road. <laughs> well, exactly that, Harry. I was just going to say impressive how he kept his cool fighting with Mark Marquez. Mm. You know that's enough to rattle a lot of riders, isn't it? And mm. and Marquez and Martin they've had a few clashes, haven't they? And Martin's come off second best in some of those. I think back to Silverstone a few years back and things like that. Kept his cool, didn't he? Mark was defending hard because Mark was clinging on, was he? You could you could see he was exhausted. He, he wanted that podium. Martin just kept his cool, picked his moment, clean pass, and uh, you know Mark, Mark slid off, trying to basically stay with him, didn't he? So yeah, impressive how he didn't get rattled by that. I thought. Mm. 
Santi Hernandez said it all. You could see Santi Hernandez in uh, that's uh, Mark Marcus's crew chief. I mean, Santi has grown old in the last two years. I've got to say, <laughs> he's going to need some new face cream or something to keep him um, keep him looking young. I think, but I mean, the Mark Marcus thing and Mark as well. I mean, I, he's back. He will be, you know, he'll be on it once his race fitness. He's got to be surely a little bit ring rusty in the fight he really has to be but to be there on that motorbike where are the rest of the hondas apart from on the floor you know nowhere near mm. he'll develop that calic chassis and he'll be right back there i bet he'll be winning by the end of the year oh god yeah let's hope he does I'm sure that will be in um, now having gotten to grips with motor gp over the last couple of years i think it's fair to say uh, for me personally marquez can do whatever he wants and he'll be at the front like pretty much you know he might he may slide off every now and then but in the pursuit of it but take him out for half a season he'll come back and he'll be back at the front straight away it's remarkable what what that man can do i think um also just before we move on to motor two right at the start of the season we predicted where augusto fernandez the only rookie in the field might finish in the standings i said he finished 14th and that is exactly where he lies right now so just, just you don't dropping, get any points for that. Just dropping, I know, I know, but just dropping that one in there because it wasn't looking we, too good if, for me now. You can you can get a point for it, but we're going to take it away from you for being smug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, moving on swiftly then. Uh, Moto2, red flag drama. Uh, but Toby Arbolino took control of the restarted race for victory in Moto2. Sam Lowe's and the Mark VDS team with a race against time, quite literally, and just missing out, but at least he got a point at the end of the day, uh, to reward his hard-working um, mechanics. Uh, but a big crash with uh, Gonzalez, Canet and Arenas as well that brought out the red flag. That was a scary one. Uh, thankfully, they all walked away. But, uh, I mean, Keith, what did you make of the Moto2 action in Le Mans? Well, I mean, Sam Lowe's on pole position. Um, good start to the week, high on confidence. And that's that, just that nightmare. As that started to slide out from underneath him, I, I, I could almost feel, think what's going through his head at that particular point. I mean, nightmare. But Sam Lowe's, it's never, it, it's only a crash if he can't get it back to the pits, was his old motto. Um, and of course, he got it back to the pits. And then the boys did him, well, I say boys, boys and girls back in that team, did him absolutely proud. Got him back out there. He missed getting out back to the, the grid by about two and a half seconds. Mm. Something like that. Gutting. Virtually no more than that. And had to start from pit lane which is a fairly major disadvantage around somewhere like uh, Le Mans, um, came through to get a point. It was the hardest one point that that team has ever had, I would think, but uh, the team certainly gets a, a big beer for effort there. Big win for Arbolino, wasn't it? I thought, uh, you know, combined with Acosta falling off. Acosta, we, we, we talked about Fernandez. He's putting, you know, there's a lot of rumours that he will, he will be on that bike next year because the ball seems to be in his court, doesn't it, as far as... If he wants to go to MotoGP, what are KTM going to do? They're going to have to give him a bike. KTM would prefer him to stay in Moto2. It would solve a lot of problems for them. Could do another year, you know, see what happens with Paul and uh, and Augusto. Give them another year as well. But uh, you know, job for Acosta is he seeing that KTM at the front of the field, and maybe he thinks two years is enough, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, but as we've said, fantastic result for for Fernandez. Acosta is on the ground and now twenty five points behind Arbolino. Well. Yeah. You know, in, in Moto2 and Moto3, 25 points is still a big lead, isn't it? With MotoGP, it isn't now with the with the sprint race and main race 37-point weekends. But in Moto2 now, I mean, going into Mugello, Arbolino's home race, he could pull, you know, a decent lead. Acosta's going to have to fight back there. So, uh, yeah, it was a quite a costly mistake there and a, a great ride by Philip Salak to get second. I think his first dry podium for Grassini there. Got, got lost on the program last year to Arbolino when he got overtaken in that wet race about... I don't know, 10 seconds before it was stopped or something having having led all the way so uh, a bit of a breakthrough ride for him as well and uh, it was it uh, Lopez on the podium on the Bosco Scuro as well so uh, yeah but desperately sorry for Sam I mean it had the speed again didn't he and it just slipped away and as you say Keith, seeing that seeing that light go red just as he's approaching it what a shame Acosta's team boss Aki Io. I mean I'm always impressed with him anyway he runs a fantastic team he's Finnish which means that he's fairly dour I suppose um but the look on his face when Acosta slid up the road just absolutely <laughs> blew me away. I think we're going to have to electrify his chair to get any kind of reaction out of a, out of Akiyo. He just, it was deadpan. They cut back to him, virtually no emotion at all. 
<laughs> not a flicker. As you can see, those points go down the road. I mean, it's it's from a team boss point of view, you've got everything in place. He's done everything to win this world title. He's got it all right there. You know, the, it's one of the top teams. It's one of the best supported team, and it's it's there for the taking. Acosta's got the talent, and then you have a situation like that turn around. God, it must. Be, I mean, it must be gutting. I would think when you're when you're a team boss and you've done everything you can do, except the luck. Mm-hmm. Well, it is as uh, Pete rightly points out a 25 point gap now at the top uh, of Moto2 Arbolino 99 Acosta 74 trails and Lopez uh, in third uh, with uh, 61 points just for a Salach Aranquet Dixon and Lowe's the top seven um, so at least as we say Sam Lowe's gets a point for that Dixon with a solid top five ride as well so uh, one for us Brits Moto3 CV play um, and nobody could pass Daniel Hogarda, could they? As he held on for victory in that Moto3 race, uh, Pete, and he's got a 21-point lead now in the standings. He has, and uh, as Keith mentioned earlier, the, the big news was the, the home win for Tectoire. Mm. You know, fantastic result after over 20 years of racing. Do you know there. what amused me? You say Tectoire, JT says Tectoire. <laughs> what does Hervé say? Tech Take 3. three. <laughs> Take 3. <laughs> Brilliant. You bloody pretentious journos. It's Take two three. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know I'm doing it. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Brings a bit of culture to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, did it change at some stage? I'm sure it was Tech Twire. Anyway, no, no. It is Tech Twire, of course it is, but it's, it's just yeah. funny. It's like the Jerez Jerez and, and, oh, and all, yeah, like, yeah, all, all the Spanish guys, just to, to fit in with us Philistine, <laughs> call it Jerez. <laughs> and, Le Mans. Uh, and we all say Jerez. No one says Le Mans, though, do they? Um, I think Gintoli does. <laughs> no, actually, yeah. <laughs> and he's French. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Uh, carry but, on, but Pete. Sorry. Way, a great win for them. Yes, yeah. Second win for Olgado, ch- championship lead. Uh, and as you say, really, we were, we were expecting Sasaki to sort of attack, weren't we? He was on pole and he followed him all the way. You thought, oh, he's got a plan here. He's just picking his moment. But. I think he sort of admitted after the race that the, the earlier accidents he's had uh, that have cost him points sort of were in the back of his mind a bit. And he thought, you know what, let's just bring it home. And uh, yeah, he was always sort of apologetic for not uh, for not trying a bit harder to win that race. But uh, but yeah, you know, he's, I think, what, sixth in the championship still. So, um, I mean, he was one of the preseason pre- favourites. So he's still got work to do to catch uh, Olgado. Um, and uh, he's, he's second, Ortola. He's now got a 20-point yeah. lead over Ortola. So uh, yeah, it, but a good race, seven eight rider lead group, typical Moto three race at Le Mans, and uh, you know Holgado. I mean, to be honest, you would expect leading with with such a narrow lead going into the last lap that there was a high chance he was going to get mugged. But he held on, fair play, kept his nerve, and uh, kept the uh, Tech three team happy. My man Jawa Masia still there though, lurking. He's still Honda, there. Honda. He's yeah, sixty three points as well. Uh, and there weren't many Hondas at at, at the front uh, at Le Mans. It, uh, it was very much KTM. It's funny, isn't it? The, 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 the Honda looked like, they in, in testing early on in the season, it looked like Honda had made that. You know, every year we seem to alternate between the jump, KTM makes a step, then Honda makes a step, and so on and so forth. And it looked like Honda had made the step at the beginning of the year. But KTM are on it <laughs> now. They certainly are. Um, well, that was the Moto3 action. Uh, and, uh, well, we've got a little bit of time. And there's also a bit of gap now, really, isn't there, uh, until um, the next races. We've got a little bit of time off. But don't worry, we'll still be here. So uh, we'll try and get through as many of your questions as possible that you send in. So do send in some stuff for us to talk about because there might not be any news. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, but in the meantime, we've got a couple of questions that have come through. So I figured why not end uh, the last 10 minutes or so with these. Um, Dimitri from Sydney asks or says, I hope you're well. My name is Dimitri. I'm from Sydney. Uh, my question is, why doesn't MotoGP go to Kailami anymore? Keith should remember the place. It's a great track. And with some upgrades, I think it would be uh, the best place to be. The way Brad Binder would have a home crowd to perform to as well. What do you reckon, Keith? MotoGP well, and Kailami? on the head when you said uh, with a few upgrades. I mean, mm-hmm. upgrades are expensive. At the end of the day, Kailami's always struggled to make money. Um, you know, in my day, it went the other way around. Been a racetrack that's been on and off the calendar over the years. Um, is there that amount of appetite financially to make it viable? That's going to be the question. You know, is it a marketplace that Dorna wants to go to when there are lucrative markets other places in the world? Unfortunately, world politics does have something to do with where we go and the uh, the amount of funding. 
Um, do the manufacturers want to get into the South African market more than anywhere else? Um, you know, we've got a lot of Asian interest nowadays as well. We've got America to open back up again. Yeah, I I absolutely love being in South Africa. You know, it's it's a place that I like to be generally. Um, but I mean, Kyle Army just outside Johannesburg. Um, I've no idea what it's like to live in Johannesburg nowadays. It used to be the Wild West when we were there. That is for certain. Cape Town is beautiful, but it's a long way away. Um, Durban, where we used to go to, there used to be a couple of tracks down there. You got in the Orange State or whatever it is. You've got I can't remember what it's called now. In the middle of some um, middle of nowhere, um, that used to have a Grand Prix years ago as well. But it's a great historic racetrack, but it doesn't seem to be much appetite for spending the kind of money on it that you would need to spend on it to get it back up to back up to spec. So I'm, I'm I feel for those that would like to see it there, and for sure Brad Binder. I mean, back in the day, there used to be some great South African riders. You can go back to some of the local guys. There used to be a fellow called Russell Wood that no one had heard of. You know, uh, Court Ballington, obviously, going back to double 250 and 350 world champion. Um, you know, Johnny Eckerold, again, as a you know the guy that won a world championship on a privateer motorcycle back in the day. Um, so there were some big names that came out of, Dave Peterson, Dave Peterson, I think, went into television, which all of us sort of so-so riders ended up doing, <laughs> as yeah. it turned out. <laughs> uh, and then he had a he had a, a television program there that he would, you know, you, he'd ring you up from from being on air in South African television, and then you'd be chatting with South Africa from your car, you know, you'd be, and Dave would be rattling away about what was going on in the world of, of motorcycle Grand Prix, but. I don't think it's going to happen is the short answer, which is a shame, but I'd like to see it. No, it's interesting though, Pete, isn't it? Because with the appetite obviously there with the help of having a home hero on the grid, I don't know, and I'm, this is the ring the bell, Formula One um, comparison here. I know F1 is also, there is pressure for, for them to go back to Kyle Army as well, but they obviously don't have a, a South African presence on, on, the, on the Formula One grid. But if F1 was looking at it as well, along with MotoGP, you know, would, would there be an encouragement from both sides? They're both looking at it? I think that would be a big step, wouldn't it, Harry? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd see, saw something about the rumours for, for F1, and if MotoGP could piggyback on, mm. onto that, that would be ideal for them, wouldn't it? Because the F1, you know, the facilities, all of the work that Keith mentioned, the money that you'd need to put in, it would already be there in place, and it makes sense for the circuit then. If you've got to spend that money, why not get two events out of it? Uh, as you say, with Brad Binder, you almost guaranteed a big home crowd for, for the MotoGP. I think he did a demo lap or a few laps around the, the track over the winter and things like that. Um, so that that could be the key, really, to solving the problems that, that Keith's mentioned, is if Formula 1 goes in there, we know they've got a lot more money that they sort of draw towards them, don't they? And uh, that you know that could make it more economically viable. Plus, you've got the chance to say, well, look, we could, we're going to have two events here, two World Championship mm. events as well. Uh, that That, I think, could make the difference. I mean, if you look at the map, as Keith was saying, you look at the map of the world that, you know, there is a, a big gap of the, the African continent where it'd be nice to have a race that used to be one years ago. Uh, Rossi famously winning his first race on the Yamaha, wasn't it, in uh, Welcome at that circuit, which I don't uh, I don't even think exists anymore or, or couldn't host Welcome, a race. It, it was so far removed from anywhere else in the world. It was it was just stuck there in the middle of nowhere, Welcome. I remember driving, driving to it and... Uh, just a, the oddest place to, to be for a Grand Prix. Um, but there you go. I mean, I, will it happen? It would be nice if it did. It will be down as much to Dorna whether they want to, to be in that marketplace. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's about that side of things as well. But if they could make it work, it'd be great. Let's all go down. Well, thank you, Dimitri, for, for the question. Uh, well, we all want it to happen, but uh, let's see. Um couple more. Jamie has asked, hi guys, great podcast, always fun watching. Thank you, Jamie. Do you think we will see sprint races in Moto2 and Moto3, considering <laughs> the success of the MotoGP races, as Moto2 and Moto3 races can be and usually are some of the best racing over the weekend? Keep up the good work. More sprints? Well, I was thinking that, you know, when I was looking at the paperwork this morning, I was thinking, ooh, be a... I think that maybe we could have three or four during the course of the year. Yes, I think that, 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 that there could be that situation. I don't think we're ever going to get to a situation where we're going to have 42 races because there is not the budgets in Moto2 and Moto3 like you've got in MotoGP. Um, and I think that that... And you'd want to keep MotoGP reasonably exclusively different mm. as the elite class, I would think. But I think that in some marketplaces, 
you could run a, a sprint for Moto2 and maybe Moto3, um, which would be an alternation of, of the thing. I, I think it's, it's an interesting... I don't think it's going to happen personally, but um, it is an interesting concept and, and maybe maybe they will experiment with um, three or four or five or whatever it might be in the future. It'd be great if they did. And if you alternated it between, you know, one weekend you're going to get a Moto2 sprint race and another weekend you're going to get a Moto3 sprint race, you know, you could actually mess it up through the through the entire year. I, like I say, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's, it's an interesting idea. Yeah, I, th- I think that's it. Yeah, if you... I mean, I mean, imagine that, say, Burrow Run with Chantra. You know, if there was a sprint race on the Sunday morning where we, there's no warm-up now, there's that bit of a gap, isn't there? Mm. So so you give, uh, in the, in those countries, especially where, let's say, the local interest is more on the Moto2 and Moto3 classes in terms of their home riders, it'd be great to give them another race, wouldn't it? Whether it's the Moto3 class or Moto2. I think, as Keith says, logistically hard to do it every round. But, uh, but yeah, why not? Why not, uh, you know, spice it up, get a bit more interest and... Uh, I think you need to leave a bit of space in case of any chaos, just so that it didn't delay the other pro- the other MotoGP race, shall we say? But um, other than that, yeah, I, I mean, there is there there's certain gaps in the weekend. You know, whether you put them at the end of the day, we know Moto E returned, of course, at Le Mans, so that's another that's a, that's a race that isn't at every round, obviously. So you, you know, you could use some of that to track time for for a sprint race as well. Reverse grids, yes. No, I don't need late racing. You don't need that in moto in motorbike racing. You just don't need it. I don't think maybe in cars. We don't need it. We don't bloody want it. No, thank you very much. I would would have it in cars, though. I think that would that would spice it to make it interesting. Well, yeah. (laughs) Um, Thank you very much, Jamie, for your question. Last one to get in here. Uh, Actually, really good question, John from Nottingham. Uh, Hi, guys. I've been watching MotoGP for years, and we often see interviews with the crew chiefs. What do they actually do? Oh, good question. I like that. <laughs> Great question. Thank you, John. Very direct. That must be uh, my my one then. Um, <laughs> crew chiefs are absolutely the link between engineering and the rider. Crew chiefs understand the personality, understand the nuances of their rider. They are the the, the linchpin in a in a pit box between the rider what he wants, and they understand what they're you know. Pretty much, they understand the motorbike, they understand the engineering, but understanding the rider and how they can interpret what he needs to make himself go faster. You're, it's almost like a psychologist. You know, they don't have to be the best in engineering, although it helps, and they don't have to be. They don't have to understand the best way to ride a motorbike, although it helps. But the fact is, is making that interpretation between what's going on with the rider's head, the rider's bike and disseminating that information. You can't download what a rider's got in his head like you can download what's on a bike. And making the link between the, the graphs on the on the screen and what the rider's saying and, and making those adjustments in a in a really short space of time to, to, to make an adjustment to get it right. Crew chief, mega important. And also there's a certain gel situation as well. I mean, it's been a few years now, but we got stuck in an airport one time with all the all the teams and all the riders, as you do occasionally when there was ridiculous amounts of um, delays on on aircraft. And it struck me there was like this area that there's no seats, there's no nothing. We're just scrabbling around in a lounge, just the same as anybody else. And the, the, the Honda team of Santiandez, Mark Marquez, and all the crew that's around them, you could tell. They were like family. They were like mates. They were all bundled together in the corner. There wasn't one that was left out. There, you know, one went to the to get some more sandwiches, brought them all back. One went to get a drink, brought them all back. Rah rah rah. They're really enjoying each other's company, and that again is a is a link. The crew crew chief can't be aloof. He's got to be able to work with everybody that's in that side of the garage as well. I mean, they are mega mega important. I mean, with Jeremy Burgess was one that I remember. I mean, Jeremy Burgess, I remember when he first came to the paddock back in the, the early 80s. You know, Jeremy Burgess was just the bloody typical bloody kangaroo herder. You know, he came over and, and worked his magic with, with lots of different people. And in the end, he was Valentino Rossi's right-hand man and could work out what they needed to do within that Yamaha team. And it might be that the Yamaha isn't where Yamaha needs to be because they don't have that type of crew chief anymore within. You know, they're, they're, they're an integral part. They are so important. You know, they're worth as much as a rider. 
Mm. Key word you used there, Keith, I think was really great, was interpret. And interpreters, they're almost like interpreters, aren't they? They they are that link between the technical side, the riding side. And the fascinating thing, and you brought it up with the examples there, is this: the backgrounds of the crew chiefs, they're all different, aren't they? You, you People come at it from all different sides. Some of them are real real tech academic geniuses. They come at it from that side. Others are ex-riders, you know, that don't have any particular formal education, but they use all of their knowledge of, uh, <laughs> all of, their knowledge of, the, of the bike and things like that. Of course, it depends on who you've got around you. And as you, as you say, Keith, also, they've got to be like a captain, haven't they? They've got to keep the garage calm. They've got to, when those tense situations, they've got to say, look, you do this, you do that. The the situation with Sam Lowe's bike being fixed, being a classic example of when you would want a calm crew chief, Jules Bigot, vastly experienced in Lowe's case, stood there keeping everyone calm. You know, there was no, no, you know, no bits flying everywhere. They all knew what they were doing, didn't they? There was no hardly any talking even between them because they were just letting people get on with the job not hassling them and in those sort of high pressure situations so yeah crucial job and i say for me the really interesting thing is that the the different types of people that come into it that the backgrounds are they all they all get the same results and sometimes you hear that there's a crew chief um you know there's crew chiefs in motor gp that that they're not the best crew chiefs ever but the rider believes in them and the rider wants them and the rider likes them and that's a big part of it again. If they don't have the trust of that rider, we see it's like a marriage, isn't it? Sometimes we see them sort of split and they and they change to a, a different crew chief. And it's not because either of them there's anything wrong, but they just don't get on in that that sort of bond and relationship that I guess you need to have in that situation. Very interesting when Rossi took that move to fire Jeremy Burgess. I'll use Jeremy Burgess again as an example. They'd got to the end of a relationship where he couldn't get any further than he needed to go. And the ruthless Rossi, as he is, dropped Jeremy Burgess, not in a very nice way, actually, because Jeremy found out from, from media rather than from Valentino himself, not very timely, and dropped a guy from Moto2 in there to see if new ideas and new thoughts and new... Yeah, new ideas and new thoughts could make a difference to Rossi's performance. So sometimes you do, you know, change is as good as the rest, as they say. And I think that that works for crew chiefs as well. It's that you've got to change. Sometimes you've got to mix up the relationship. But it must be like a divorce when you've been there with somebody for so long. Um, but they do come to an end. I don't think they're as costly. <laughs> well, that a brilliant question. Thank you so much for sending that in. Fascinating always. Um and keep them coming as well. There are a load that I've got banked that we will get through, but the email is podcast at crash.net. So we've got a, a couple of weekends to think of, haven't we? Um before uh before we get back to it. So plenty of time to discuss. Um but I think we've we've hit an hour. We're bang on there. Thank you very much. Uh, we're done. Unless any any last notices, Keith? You look like you wanted to say something there, no? No, no. I mean, there's plenty going on. Obviously, we've got Donington Park this weekend, BSB. We've just had the Northwest 200, which is, is out there on iPlayer. There's there's lots of places that you can still uh, view some damn good motorbike racing. That is for certain. But uh, I'm looking forward to being back next week. We can have a right old rumble with it. A right old rumble. You, uh, you better sort yourself out, Harry. I want plenty of difficult questions next week, all right? No no loafing, no car, car type things. No car type things. We're going to do a deep dive into uh, the GT World Challenge, which is, of course, the series that Valentino Rossi <laughs> races in. Um, it, so it send- could be worse. You could, you could be really into Moto E. I, mean, yeah. maybe, maybe next, I was maybe thinking that. Get me- it's good to see Jordi Torres going like hell as well. I mean, I have to say, Moto E, that it was the first time this weekend with Ducatis. Of Moto course. E Ducatis. So, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe next week we can do a bit of a roundup on Moto E because there are I th- people. I think I mean, we I'm should. Sorry for being, I'm sorry I'm being a bit flippant with Moto E, and I don't mean to be because obviously it is actually great racing. It's just the, the concept of an electric bike that just annoys the hell out of me. But we, sh- we should give it some coverage next week, maybe. Maybe we should do a, invite some Moto E type questions for next week. Yes, go on then. Send us your Moto E type questions. Also, we haven't really covered the new Women's World Championship that was announced either by the FIM. So maybe we'll do a little bit of chat on that as well. So send us. Well, in... how about if I line up Maria Costello for a for a chat on that because she's Ooh. she's a, a, an ambassador for FHO Fayho Racing uh, here in the UK. Uh, Maria obviously has has been racing um, for donkey's years now. Yeah. I can see, um, and she's moving towards management. MBE for. You know, was once the fastest lady around the Isle of Man, but Jenny Timmouth blew that out of the water fairly swiftly. 
Um, so there's, there's, there, there is quite a lot to talk about if we're yeah. going to go Moto E and, and female racing. Let's 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 get on it. Let's do that then. All right, this has basically turned into a production meeting now. So uh, we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll end it there, shall we? That's a little insight into what we talk about when we're off air. We actually do plan these and we do put work in, believe it or not. Yeah. Keith does come up with suggestions. Uh, anyway, thank you, gents. Keith, you and Pete McLaren, always an absolute pleasure. Uh, in the meantime, you can keep across everything motorbike related and MotoGP related, of course, on Crown net for all the latest news and analysis uh, we shall be back with you probably same time next week get your questions in as we say uh, you can leave them in comments sections tweet instagram facebook us search crash motor gp or the email is podcast at crash.net if you get to send a voice note please please limit it to 30 seconds some of you are sending in two to three minutes and that's just a bit long so 30 seconds please as close to you've been kicking my my questions out <laughs> yeah, now. yeah. Keith, <laughs> Keith just loves the sound of his own voice uh in, <laughs> leave us a review wherever you get your podcast and we shall see you right back in next week thank you very much bye-bye